great to be uh, with you. It's always great to lift high the name of Jesus in, uh, in song and then lift high the name of Jesus in his word as well. And uh, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, we're taking several Sundays here, uh, really starting uh, last Sunday and then moving into most of the month of uh, November to discuss some common questions that many people have about God and our faith in Christ Jesus. I mean, hey, as a sent forward uh, people, we wanna be equipped to have conversations with people and give them reasons for the hope that we have in ourselves in, in Christ. And so uh, last week we answered uh, the question, can I trust the Bible? Uh, just to be uh, really succinct about it, uh, yes, uh, we, we can trust the Bible. It is accurate. Uh, and so building off of that, uh, this week, we're going to be seeking to answer another common question. It's this. Do all ways lead to God? Do all ways lead to God? Now, this is a, a very, very, very relevant uh, question in our time. You see, with the rise of, of religious pluralism in our society, our culture uh, today answers that question with a yes. A yes always lead to God. In fact, it's called inclusivism. Inclusivism, and, and, and attached to that uh, inclusivity of, of always must lead to God is this uh, kind of like growing uh, uh, emotion behind it of, uh, of like, yeah, and, and to not believe that is intolerant, hateful, and racist. In fact, let me give you some examples um, to help uh, illustrate this point uh, from some key cultural influencers. First, there's Oprah. Oprah has uh, um, famously said multiple times that all ways lead to God. Then there's Madonna. Madonna uh, has said, I do believe that all paths lead to God. It's a shame that we end up having religious wars because so many of the messages are the same. Adding to that, there's also George Lucas. Uh, he's the guy who was primarily responsible for the Star Wars films. Uh, he has said, I remember when I was 10 years old, I asked my mother, if there's only one God, why are there so many religions? I've been pondering that question ever since, and the conclusion I've come to is that all religions are true. This uh, ideology of uh, inclusivism even has another name. It's called omnism. Omnism. It's the belief in all religions. It's kind of like this idea of like, well, I can't really pick just one, so you know what? I'll just go with all of them. And that's the idea behind uh, omnism. And, and lest we uh, uh, think that this ideology is limited to just the secular circles of our culture, let me also give us some uh, examples of this ideology in some religious circles. Uh, religious philosophers commonly use an, an old Asian parable, the, the parable of uh, blind men and the elephant. Perhaps you've heard of it, maybe not. Um, the idea is this, that the, uh, there's several blind men and they're touching an elephant uh, in uh, different parts of the elephant and one is touching the tail and, and uh, uh, that guy thinks it's a stick that he's touching, the other one is touching the trunk and that, that guy thinks it's a snake and then uh, one of the guys is touching the side and he thinks it's a wall. And the idea with the parable is that uh, all those blind men are coming to different conclusions because they have a limited focus, a limited viewpoint. And so the religious philosophers then say and use that as an example of that's what it is like for religions. They all have a limited perspective, and so that's why you have the multiplicity of religions. Or so the argument goes. 
Then there's the, the late Joseph Campbell. He's a, you probably haven't heard of him. He uh, was an author and literature professor whose religious work inspired the Star Wars movies. And he says this, all religions are true because they make claims that should be understood as metaphors. Not real, but metaphors. Then there's this famous Hindu proverb. It says It goes like this, there are hundreds of paths up the mountain all leading to the same place, so it doesn't matter which path you take. And we're going to uh, come back to that point here in, in just a moment, but the, the proverb goes on to say that, um, uh, in, in my words, I'll sum it up, uh, can we all just get along? Uh, can we all just uh, uh, coexist uh, together since all paths uh, lead to God? Unless we think that this ideology is limited to just the secular cir circles of our culture and just the religious circles of our culture, let me also give you an example of, of it trickling into Protestant evangelical circles in our necks of the woods. Uh, Pew Research did a survey back in 2008, and uh, it found that 57% of people in evangelical churches believe many religions lead to eternal life. So it's even in the church today, more than half from that research. And perhaps some of you are here today and believe that as well. I'm glad you're here. We could go on and on and on with more data, but my point in putting all of this out here is to simply demonstrate that this question about whether or not always lead to God is very important, and we ought to know what we believe about it. Amen. And then we ought to be able to go and have conversations with people who question it. So, how do, uh, how do we go about answering this question this morning? Well, there are several ways that we could go about it. There's a, a different uh, methodologies that are typically applied uh, in, in the field and realm of apologetics. Uh, but we're a church, and um, we gather together to worship the Lord in song and in the word. And so we are primarily going to spend a bulk of our time this morning in God's word to answer this question, okay? But... We're also going to spend, before we get there, so hang with me, we're going to spend a, a little bit of time looking at a couple of other ways to go about answering the question, do all ways lead to God? And what I think and hope and pray is that that will then provide a more well-rounded answer to that question. Okay, you with me? All right. I love uh, uh, in the book of Acts that the, uh, it says the Apostle Paul reasoned with the Jews and the Gentiles. So friends, today, come, let us reason together, okay? Now, I'd like for us to start by answering the question from a Christian perspective, okay? Uh, in one sense, this is going to be the shortest sermon of all time. Uh, the answer from a Christian perspective, uh, do always lead to God, is no. Amen. No, they do not. And our premise here is this, there is only one way to God. Now, let's spend the next bit of time that we have together looking at why this is so. By the way, I just want to make a note here. We are only scratching the surface in answering this question on uh, the topic. Uh, we are not able to do a, uh, an exhaustive, deep-dive study on answering this question this morning. Our hope is to just whet your appetite and give you a sense for it, and then, Lord willing, we'll be uh, providing some additional resources for you this coming week uh, that you can read up on it and study more in depth if you like. I, I tried. I asked the pastors and elders if I could have three hours this morning to preach, and they said no. 
You are loved. <laughs> All right, let's look at this first. Uh, first, let's reason using logic. Let's use some logic. Uh, logic says that two opposing truth cla claims cannot both be true. Either they're both wrong or one of them is right. The law of non-contradiction says that two truth claims that are opposing to one another cannot both be true. Let me give you an example. Um, Christianity teaches that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Judaism, Mormonism, and Islam, to name a few, teach that Jesus is fully man, but not God. Those two truth claims are diametrically opposed to one another, and the law of non-contradiction says that they can't both be true. They can either both be wrong, or one of them is right. And so, to argue, for example, that all ways do lead to God fails the test of logic. So that's one way we can go about answering the question, do all ways lead to God? And you, uh, I'm going to leave you to study that a little bit more in depthly if you so choose. Now let's, let's look at a second way that we can uh, reason, and let's use uh, philosophy. Let's use some philosophy. Now, the statement that all ways lead to God is actually unprovable, cannot be proven. It just can't. And so, uh, that means it, it must be accepted, if you accept that, on the basis of faith. Which then means that inclusivism is a religious belief. And what makes that religious belief any more true than the religions which claim there is only one way to God? In fact, um, always lead to God statements are often illustrated, as I mentioned earlier, by a mountain with God at the top and multiple paths leading up to the top. You can see an example of that on the screen behind me. The only issue is, is there's a big problem with that. Really big problem. An insurmountable problem. And here's the problem. Religions don't agree on their versions of who God is. For example, we Christians believe in the triune God. One God, three persons. Islam, Mormonism, Judaism believe in one non-triune God. Hinduism believes in many gods. Some say uh, as many as 330 million. And, and pantheism teaches the universe and all that is in it is God. That means, uh, according to pantheism, this, the chairs that you're sitting in right now are God. The clothes you're wearing are God, this podium is God, this building is God, so on and so forth. Do you guys see how far apart those beliefs are just on the nature and essence of God? And so it begs the question, then, if always lead to God, then which version of God? And then, hang with me, philosophically speaking, Based on that, if all ways lead to God, then no ways lead to God. Just a little lighthearted thing for you to, you know, debate over lunch today. And, and while we're on this, this topic, I'd like for us to consider two additional realities, okay? Here's the first one. 
Christianity is the only religion that believes salvation only comes by the grace of God, not by our works. All the other religions teach either a works-based or self-based salvation. Hinduism teaches that salvation comes through reincarnation. Judaism, that salvation comes by obedience to the law. Buddhism, that uh, salvation comes from within, from the self. New Ageism teaches that as well. Um, And Islam, it, it teaches that good works have to be greater than the bad works. Christianity is the only religion that believes that salvation comes only by the grace of God. Let me add a a second reality for us to consider this morning. Christianity is the only religion where God comes down off the mountain to meet us where we're at. All of the other religions say, you got to go up the mountain to get to God. Christianity says, God comes down the mountain to us. I mean this figuratively, spiritually, and even literally. If you have an opportunity this week in your time with the Lord, I'd encourage you to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 17, Matthew 17, and and read about the transfiguration of Jesus. The text says that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and it says literally, up a high mountain. And uh, uh, Jesus pulls back a little bit of the veil of his humanity so that Peter, James, and John, and now us through the word of God, could glimpse a little bit of his divinity. And God the Father speaks from a cloud on top of that high mountain and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And do you know what Jesus does when he comes off the mountain? What is the first thing that he does? Is he heals a young boy being tormented by a demon. All the other religions say that that young boy had to climb up to the mountaintop to God and maybe be healed. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, comes down the mountain and heals the boy. These two considerations, these two realities we just mentioned are, I mean that Christianity is completely unique and set apart from all of the other religions. Now hear me, I I am not saying that that alone makes it true, but it should at least invite deeper considerations that it might be. I want to pause here um, as we've, we've looked at logic, we've looked at philosophy, and I want to just remind us that Scripture warns us about trusting in our own intellect. Scripture warns us about, about uh, 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 putting our own reasoning skills and abilities, our own intellectual uh, uh, ascents um, on, a, on an unlevel playing field. And the reason for that is because um, we are fallible, and that includes our ability to reason. And so we are warned in Scripture that if we trust in our own minds, we are fools. And so we need to come back to our authority source in the Bible and ground logic and ground philosophy and ground other ways of reasoning to answer this question because we're fallible and we could get it wrong. And this brings us to the third way that we can reason together, theology. Theology. Now we looked uh, last week at why we can trust the Bible We don't have the time to delve into the details here, but the Bible is also trustworthy, not just because it's accurate in its transmission, but because it's true. 
This is super important for us all uh, to get and take away. The veracity of the Bible rises and falls on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then that validates all the claims about himself and the entire Bible, which then means that the Bible becomes our authority source for life and godliness. However, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is there in the grave with him and Christianity crumbles. And I'd like to proclaim to you that Jesus did rise from the dead. And there is ample physical evidence to support that. We just don't have time to go into that this morning. And that's our presupposition that the Bible is true. And so we're going to go to God's word and see how God's word answers this question, do always lead to God. So with that in mind, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Now, as you turn there, I'd I'd like to just give a brief summary and overview of what Scripture in totality says in in response to do always uh, lead to God, okay? From the beginning to the ending, the Bible only ever claims there is one way to God. Uh, From the beginning, uh, before sin, in Genesis 1 and 2, God lived in perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. Then at the end, in the ending, in Revelation 21 and 22, we see that God is dwelling with his people in perfect relationship again in the new heaven and the new earth. But hear me, in between those bookends, when sin was birthed in each of our souls, the path to God became obstructed. God removed Adam and Eve from Eden. He placed an angel to guard the way back into the inner sanctum of God's presence signifying that direct access to God is no more. And ever since then, in utter rebellion against God, humanity has gone its own way, convinced that their way is better, that their way will lead them to God. Oh, by the way, their own version of God. We don't want God's path, so we're like, you know what, God, forget it. We've blazed our own paths by creating false gods and worshiping them instead. Understand this, loved one. The Lord God has only ever condemned the worship of other gods. He never allows the worship of other deities, ever. He never calls it okay. And the Bible is explicitly clear about that. You can check out the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments for an example. But God in his graciousness even created a temporary way for his people to access him through the sacrificial system and the priesthood in Israel. And this not only gave very, very limited access to God, but in some ways, just as importantly, it also readied Israel and the nations and us for the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. And throughout the entire Old Testament, God is preparing the one way of holiness, the one highway for the redeemed to return to God. I'm using, by the way, that terminology straight out of Isaiah 35. And God was zeroing in on the the Lamb of God who would come and take away the sins of the world and, and, and provide eternal access to God through his blood. By the way, pause for a moment, catch our breaths. 
Um, isn't it amazing that this main storyline that I've just described about the Bible, with no contradictions, was written over a span of some 1,500 years by 40 different authors? Hmm. You think they were divinely inspired or something, right? Friends, the, the Bible is explicitly clear from page one to page whatever Revelation 22 is that um, there is only one way. There is only uh, one way. And, and that brings us to the Gospel of John. Now Jesus is, is here in the upper room with his disciples and it's the eve of his death and he knows that his, his hour has arrived and that he, uh, it's time for him to go back to the Father. Now let's pick up here in John chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, Jesus tells them here, his disciples, not to be troubled. It's probably because he's referring to what he said earlier, that he's going to be leaving them, uh, and that they won't be able to come with him. But they're also probably a little troubled because uh, he also just got done telling them that there's a betrayer among them. <laughs> and then he adds in that Peter's about to deny him three times. Yeah, I think their hearts are really troubled right now. And you see, and, and, Jesus, and Jesus in his, his kindness and his love for them, he's like, hey, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Instead, what does he tell them to do? He's like, hey, you believe in God? Believe in me. Believe in me. He calls them to faith in him. Now, now look at, at Jesus here as he continues in verse two. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus here is explaining why he's leaving. He's going to prepare a place for them in the father's house. And, the, uh, the disciples are not yet ready to go with them. You see, there's a time of preparation that's needed. And we should not understand here uh, Jesus to be talking literally about preparing physical rooms in some kind of, of heavenly mansion. Jesus is not saying, hey, I've got to go get my carpenter's tool built and put it on in my carpenter's hat and spend the next however many millennia building these rooms and preparing you for it. It isn't what he's saying. I love what uh, theologian um, D.A. Carson has to say about it. He says, it is the, the going itself via the cross and resurrection that prepares the place for Jesus' disciples. And so the, the disciples cannot go with Jesus because he's not yet finished preparing the way back to God the Father for them and for us. I'm really glad Jesus said it's necessary for me to go away. <laughs> it's really cool too, though, is, is that Jesus attaches a promise to this. And uh, he says that he promises to return for them to take them with him so that they can be together for eternity. By the way, no other God in any of the other religions wants to dwell with his or her people in this way. Christianity is also unique in that way. And then Jesus goes on to say something that seems uh, pretty confusing. Look here in, in verse 4. Jesus says, And you know the way to where I am going. 
Now, I, I imagine that for a, a group of, of men who don't fully understand what's going on just yet, Jesus' words must have, have been confusing. In fact, we're going to see here in verse 5 that they are confused. But at the same time, it's interesting because Jesus had already previously told the disciples that he was going back to the Father. Multiple times, actually. And he's also previously told them the, the way that he is going back to the Father is via the cross and the resurrection. They just don't fully comprehend it yet. And some of you may be here today and just wondering, like, why is the way to God through the cross? That's a great question. Because there is none righteous. Not a single one of us wretched souls are good. And we stand condemned before God. And you see, the cross is the only way to ultimately remove that condemnation and that barrier to God. And without the shedding of the blood of a lamb, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus was the perfect lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And his blood shed on the cross is what enables God to forgive sin. It's what, it's what uh, uh, gives us access to God. It satisfies the just wrath of God towards sin. And so, friends, that is why Jesus must go to the cross. There is no other way. Amen. This is the way back into God's presence. And Jesus walked it for them and for us. We didn't want to anyway, and we couldn't. Jesus did the impossible. And disciples don't quite yet understand this. Here's how we know. Look in verse 5 here. Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? What a great life question, by the way. How can we know the way? I, I think a, a lot of people, millions and millions of people are asking questions similar to that. How can I know the way in my life? How can I find my way? What are my options? Maybe some of you are here this morning asking a similar question. It's a great question, Thomas. Thanks for voicing it. Notice, though, he does not ask, what are the ways to get to you? Nor does he say, can you tell us what our options are? He's saying, what is the way? What is the way? And Jesus responds here in verse 6. Look there, please, with me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Jesus answers this question very simply, very directly, but simply. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus, along with making a divinity statement here in the I am uh, a statement that he says there, along with that, he's also making it clear that he is the way to God. In the original uh, Greek text, uh, uh, it has the, the definite articles before way, truth, and life. So it's not uh, Jesus saying, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. No, the definite article is there explicitly, making explicitly clear that Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the Bible uh, tells us that, that there is only one way, 
And here uh, in this text, and it's all over the New Testament, in fact, but here in this text uh, specifically is Jesus is that way. Jesus is the way. In the second half of uh, verse 6, it says that Jesus says that no one can come to the Father except through him. We may not like that. That might not rest well with us, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. And this isn't the first time Jesus makes this claim. He makes this claim in various ways, explicitly and implicitly, all throughout the Gospel of John. John 6, John chapter 10, John chapter 11, etc., etc., etc. Jesus isn't trying to to punk his disciples. He's not trying to punk us. He's, He's trying to be really, really clear, and he has his entire ministry. And here, it culminates into him saying, hey, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What's more? Uh, do y'all uh, want to quickly see something cool from the Old Testament that foreshadows and points toward this? Good, I'm glad you do. Uh, keep your finger in uh, uh, John chapter 14 because we're going to come back to that. And uh, flip over quickly to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter uh, 30. So here in the, in the first part of uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 30, the, the Lord is, is noting Israel's ongoing stubbornness. He's saying, uh, return to me. And they're like, no, we will not. Think of a three or four-year-old kind of like digging their heels in, crossing their arms, folding their arms and head up like, no, only this is way, 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 way more serious. And so how does God respond to that? Look here in verse 18. It says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. What's so uh, interesting here is, is the Lord is saying, okay, hey, if you, want to, if you want to rebel and be stubborn, you're a stiff-necked people anyway, then I will wait to show my grace and my mercy to you. And at the right time, I will exalt my name through it. And I will bring you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction But when the timing is right, I will send you the teacher. And you will see him with your own eyes and hear him with your own ears. And he will say, this is the way. Walk in it. A side note, uh, this is the way. God said it first, not the Mandalorian. (laughs) Now flip back over to John 14. Doesn't Isaiah 30 just seemed to point at this moment of redemptive history. There's Jesus, rabbi, teacher. He's the only one, it's noted in the Gospels, he's the only one that teaches with authority. He is the teacher. And here he is in this text. After the question is, is, uh, how can we know the way? He goes, I'm the way. It, It just screams of, this is the way, walk in it. In fact, actually, I'm going to get out ahead of you. I'm going to walk it for you, and then you follow me. So cool. 
And Jesus is saying that uh, this is the way to God through the cross and resurrection. He's going on our behalf. He's substituting his body and his blood for ours. And in so doing, he's atoning for our sins. And so then, through Jesus and Jesus alone, we have access to God. Because of, of Jesus, there is now no angelic being guarding the way to God like in the Garden of Eden. Because of, uh, of Jesus, there is no veil or curtain blocking the way to God. It was torn upon his death. There is also no sin keeping us from God, and it doesn't matter how egregious a sin it may be. Because Jesus' blood has been shed, showing us the way and granting us access to God. And contrary to other religions, there is no good deed that can do this for us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So how should we respond? How should we respond to this? If all work, if all the work has been done for us, then what is left for us to do? And to that, I encourage us to go back to verse one. And Jesus said, believe in me. That's all that's left for us, friends, church family, brothers and sisters, those not yet my brothers and sisters, believe in Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah, but Chris, isn't it arrogant or tolerant or hateful or racist of Jesus and his followers to say that he is the only way to God? Before answering that question, I just want to make a note. Uh, Christianity did not invent exclusivity. (laughs) Nearly every single religion in the world believes that their way is the only way. So it it shouldn't just be levied against Christianity as an accusation because we didn't invent it. Now, I don't want to make it sound like I'm dodging the question, so let's answer it, and here's, here's how we should answer it. It's not arrogant or hateful or racist to make the claim if it's true. Because if it's true... If it's true, then it would be loving for Jesus to declare it so that others may believe. And likewise, if we truly believe that Jesus is the only way to fellowship with God, then it would be unloving of us if we didn't share that in conversations with others. Let me uh, just finish with this. In in Matthew chapter 7, says that uh, Jesus said that the gate is wide and the way easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Um, our family likes to uh, uh, go on hikes together, and a while back we found this cool little, little trail it's a narrow path that's made of wooden planks and uh, that winds through this marsh, marshy area. You can see it on the screen there. And w- whenever we walk on it, uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 7 about the narrow and difficult way comes to mind and that few will enter it. Church, 
One of the best ways that we can love people is to share with them that Jesus is the only way, and it is narrow, and it is hard. And all the other ways end in destruction. You see, we can choose the path, but we can't choose the destination. It's been decided for us. So how can we not hold out the beauty and worth of Jesus to others? How can we not? Confession. I was convicted this week as I was studying this that I personally don't readily share the love of Jesus with others enough. Why is that? It's because I, ashamedly I love the glory of that comes from man more than the glory that comes from the Lord. And so I lack boldness. I lack courage at times. I'm guessing some of you do too. So hey, I prayed for us all this week. Multiple times that as followers of Christ, we would be strong, bold, and courageous in giving the reasons for the hope that we have in the Lord. Would you pray for me as well? Hey, loved ones, sent forward ones, Jesus is the only way. I mean, who else has ever died in our place for our sins? Who else ever could except Jesus Christ? And so, we praise him. Oh, do we praise him. And we take that hope with us into this week and the weeks ahead. And then we share it with others as God gives us opportunity. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for making the way. Thank you for making it clear to us that it is through Jesus Christ, that we have access to you. Oh God, I pray that there would not be a, a single soul that would walk out of this building without bending their knee and accepting and receiving the free redemption that comes through Jesus Christ this morning. God, might you re review, re remove the veil that is, is blinding them, the God of this world is using to blind them to keep them from you, Lord. Might they come to know that Jesus is the way, and not just know it, but believe it. That's all that's left because of the work that Jesus has done for us and on our behalf. And, and so, for those of us who, who are saved, for those of us who are in Christ, we praise you because you did not abandon us to ourselves even when we were hostile towards you. You came for us. And we pray that others would see that. Unite our hearts together, O oh Lord. Jesus Christ, thank you. We praise you. For you alone are worthy of our praise. And God, might you do a work on the west side. Might you give us boldness and courage to go and, and share this truth with others, conversation by conversation, one step at a time, 
And we know that that's all that you've called us to. The rest is up to you, Lord. Only you can bring somebody to know and believe. So, Lord, find us faithful. Find us faithfully sharing. Find us faithfully growing in our uh, ever-increasingly deeper ways of worshiping you, becoming more pure worshipers of you. And God, man, do a work. Save every soul in the west side and beyond for your glory and our joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.